Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. In a series, uh, just in case you've forgotten, called Who We Are, and we are going through the values uh, of the church. If you haven't grabbed one of these Towards 100 booklets, which we spoke about about a month ago, <laughs> it feels like quite a long time ago, uh, where we had Vision Sunday, and uh, we shared just some of the, the things that we believe that God is calling us to as a church, and uh, that's all been shared in this booklet. You can grab one at the back uh, on your way out if you missed that. Um, but uh, we are heading towards our 100th birthday as a church, if you did miss that. You know, we're one church in five locations, and Gateway is turning 107 years' time. And as we head towards our 100th birthday, there's a whole bunch of things that we believe God has called us to do. And part of that kind of revisioning and uh, setting out some markers for, for the next season ahead is also we have revisited our values. You know, values speak of who we are. They speak of our DNA, you know, it's kind of how we behave, how we relate. And so we've kind of called this series as we journey through our five values, we called it who we are, just kind of that's it. And uh, so we're into our second value. A couple of weeks ago, we kicked off looking at uh, our first value, which is we live with abundant generosity. And today we're going to step into our next value, uh, which is we hunger for the presence of God. We hunger for the presence of God. Above anything else in our church, we know that we need the presence of God because it's only the presence of God that changes people's lives. It's only the presence of God that changes a life for eternity. Money doesn't do that. Effort doesn't do that. The presence of God changes lives. It's changed our life. And that is why we're saying as a church, we hunger, we are desperate for the presence of God. You know, there's a line that I'm sure we all know. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And when we're desperate... We do desperate things, don't we? When we're desperate, we do things that we wouldn't normally do. Now, let's just think of a few scenarios of when we're desperate, where we may behave in ways that we wouldn't normally behave. I don't know if you've ever been desperate for the toilet. You know, absolutely busting for the toilet, and you're out, you're about, you're not at home, and there's no toilet to be found. You know, I don't want to hear your story right now of what you did. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I was, I was in the uh, getting my hair cut uh, a few weeks ago, and a lady just charges in to the to the uh, to the uh, salon there and says, "I need a toilet," and uh, and uh, so then it was all panic stations trying to find this this uh, bathroom for this woman. Now I'm sure that norm, in normal circumstances, she wouldn't do that. Yeah, she just wait, but she was desperate, and so she charged into her shop and said, I need the bathroom. Maybe you've done that before. Maybe you've just randomly knocked on somebody's house door and said, I'm desperate for the bathroom. Maybe you haven't, I'm not quite sure, but uh, desperate times call for desperate measures. You know, for those who've had young kids and you are desperate for sleep, but your child is not sleeping, 
desperate times call for desperate measures. You know, I have just slept on a hard floor on numerous occasions whilst our young child who couldn't sleep sleeps nice and warm in my bed. There have been times, I'm sure, as parents where you've got in the car at two o'clock in the morning and put your child in the car and just driven around the city. You wouldn't normally do that. You wouldn't just normally wake up and go, you know what, it's 2.30 in the morning, I'm just going to go for a drive around the city. But if you're trying to get your child to sleep, desperate times call for desperate measures. You know, if you've, uh, you're down five guesses on Wordle and, and you've got one more shot, Desperate times call for desperate measures. Come on, some people may just actually search online to find out what the word is because you desperately need to keep that streak going. Anyone done that? Any confessions? Does anybody even know what I'm talking about? If you haven't jumped onto Wordle, don't because it's uh, dangerous. It's a vortex. You know, if you're desperately thirsty, you know, you will, you will do anything just to get that drink. Now, I remember when I was a kid coming in, I was all sweaty. It was a hot Brisbane summer, and uh, I'd been playing cricket. I came upstairs and ran in and ran to the kitchen and opened up the fridge and just grabbed that bottle of white liquid and poured it into a cup and just chugged it down. And I realized halfway through that it wasn't water. It was white vinegar. It was disgusting. I just spat it out everywhere. My mother had accidentally taken a bottle which she thought was water, but it was white vinegar and put it in the fridge. I've got to say now, I'm scarred. I cannot, and you ask Megan, I cannot stand the smell of vinegar. It just, it's horrific to me. You know, when you're desperately thirsty, you'll do anything to get a drink of water. And if you're, you're desperately hungry, then, then you'll eat pretty much anything. You know, I know when Megan is desperately hungry because she will lower herself to eat McDonald's. I mean, for me, McDonald's is like, a, that is like, that's wonderful. But, but, but for Megan, it's not. And, uh, and so I know that when Megan is desperately hungry, it'll be takeaway through McDonald's, normally on a, a long road trip. You know, desperate times call for desperate measures, eating, eating McDonald's. You know, when we're desperate, we do desperate things. And, and we know, and we just spent a whole bunch of time praying about some desperate things going on. You know, this week as I've driven around our suburb, I've, I've seen some pretty desperate things. Now, there's some people right now in our city who are, who are in, in a lot of pain, really struggling. When you see whole contents of houses just spill out onto the street everywhere. People have lost everything desperate times, when you turn on the screen and, and you see what's going on in Ukraine, there are some desperate scenes. There are people who are in a desperate situation. Our, our world is walking through some desperate times and we're walking through still a global pandemic. We are living through desperate times. You know, desperation, when we walk through desperation, we do implement des desperate measures. We do things in a desperate way. And what we do in desperate times reveals where our faith truly lies. It reveals our devotion. Desperation reveals our devotion. 
And we're going to look at a story uh, today. And in fact, we're going to be reading a fair bit of narrative, a fair bit of scripture today uh, from the life and the story of King Jehoshaphat from 2 Chronicles. And we're going to see in different ways how Jehoshaphat in desperate times responded in devotion, in looking to God. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The words are going to be on the screen. Uh, Get it out on your digital device. And it's worth uh, following along because we're going to be reading a big chunk of Scripture as we work through today. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 1 and reading to verse 14. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah and their wives and children And little ones stood there before the Lord. You see here a picture. There's a picture of desperation. The people of Judah are surrounded by a larger, bigger, more powerful army. And the situation that they are facing is dire and desperate. And you get this sense of desperation uh, from Jehoshaphat when he says... And admits, acknowledges in his prayer, he says, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. We are overwhelmed. The armies that are surrounding us, that are coming against us, are more powerful than us. You can imagine the desperation that we're feeling, you know, as we, as we look at the moment, as we've been praying, for, as we look at the Ukraine at the moment. You can imagine as they look at this large, big army of Russia led by a despot coming against this nation, you you kind of get this sense. Obviously, as we've been watching on, there's just a desperation. There's no hope. There's no hope. 
Imagine that Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah were feeling the same way as the people of Ukraine are right now. No hope. You know, we are confronted. We see out in our world desperation. We look at our own communities and we see desperation. We see people, family, friends, work colleagues who may be walking through seasons right now of desperation, depression, anxiety, marriages falling apart, lost jobs, financial issues, whatever it is, we're surrounded by moments and maybe you are right now walking through a moment, a time, a season of desperation. We all walk through these seasons. And for Jehoshaphat and for the people of Judah, they are walking through a season of desperation. But as we see with Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, a devoted heart is directed to God in desperate times. And so Jehoshaphat says at the end of his prayer, our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. And in in desperation, he gathers the people together. And I want to just point three things that happen. In this, in this place and in this moment, Jehoshaphat gets together the people of Judah. There's three actions of a devoted heart, devoted um, life in a moment of desperation that we see here that we can learn from. Firstly, we see that Jehoshaphat gets the people together and they fast. They don't eat. Why in the world, when you are, when you are in a place of desperation, would you fast? Well, we see it right through the Bible that we see that this practice of fasting happens in times of desperation. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, this practice of fasting. In fact, we even see Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. We see in Luke, he's baptized, commissioned to go out. And the first thing he does is he goes and he fasts for 40 days in the wilderness. You may look at that and go, well, that's not really a desperate situation, but Jesus understood in you the desperation and the need that he had from the, from the Father. He needed the, the power of the Spirit in his life if he was going to minister in that way. He understood the desperation that was required, that he was desperate. He fasted. There's something about fasting and the act of fasting that says, God, you are more important to me than anything else, even food. And I know in my own life, when I have fasted, there has been significant moments of revelation. As I've said in my heart towards God, God, I am desperate for you. God, will you help me see and understand that I am in desperate need of you? And when, when we step into this place of fasting and denying ourselves of food, when we feel those hunger pains, it's a reminder to say, more than food, I need the presence of God. The people of Israel, sorry, the people of Judah came together and they fasted because they knew they needed God more than food. We need God more than food. Yes, we do need food. We don't fast forever. But fasting is a practice that reorients our heart, our mind, and our life to God. 
We are stepping in. I'm going to talk about this at the end, but we're actually a week in. We were going to launch this last week, but we didn't get to gather. You may have seen it on social media and in our emails, but we are in the midst of, in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting across our whole church. And uh, if you haven't jumped into that yet, let me encourage you. There's there's booklets down here on the stage and up at the welcome desk at the end. I'll, I'll refer to this later on. But I invite you to consider in this season What's God calling you to do to remind yourself, to train yourself again, to get your heart oriented desperate for him again? Firstly, Jehoshaphat called the people of Judah together and they fasted. Secondly, they gathered together. I love this verse right at the end. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones, everyone. It's kind of like even even the ones who are younger than the children, the little ones. They all came together together. They stood there before the Lord. They gathered together as one. Firstly, they fasted. Secondly, they came together as community. In desperate times, when we are desperate for God, we recognize that we need others. We need others. We need to be together. We need to gather together. We need to find ourselves connected with one another, cheering one another on. Gathering in this place, when we gather for church, we are actually reminding ourselves of who we are, that actually we are loved by God and we are in desperate need of Him. I love this morning, as we gathered together in worship and we lifted our eyes and we declared who God is. When we gather together, we are encouraging one another. Hey, we are walking together in this. They fasted, they gathered together, and thirdly, they prayed. And Jehoshaphat gives this prayer that we uh, praise this prayer on behalf of the nation, and it's a powerful prayer. I just want to give us some tools very quickly about how we pray desperate prayers. Taking Jehoshaphat's prayer, firstly, we see that he acknowledges and declares the strength and the power of God. He begins by saying, God, you are greater, you have more power, you are stronger than any other power that there is. You're greater. Whatever we are walking through right now, whatever, whatever army we are coming against, you are greater. Again, that's what we were doing today as we were worshipping. We are declaring, God, despite what is going on in our world, you reign. You are stronger. You are greater. Declaring the strength and the greatness of God. Secondly, we see that Jehoshaphat recounts the story that they're part of. And says, God, you have been with us. God, you, you, you called out Abraham your friend. God, you have been with us. You have journeyed with us. We see, we have seen your faithfulness throughout our history. You know, when we pray, we can recount the story that we've been part of. God, you are great. God, you have been with us. You saved us. You've walked with us. You've rescued us. Thirdly, he pulls on the covenant. God, you are a God who has made covenant with us. You're a God who said that if we come to you, you will save us. You're a God of covenant. God, that is your character. You are a faithful God. And once he has articulated those things, God, you're powerful. God, you've been with us. 
God, you are faithful to your covenant. Now, God, hear my prayer. Hear my plea. We're surrounded by these clowns. These guys are wanting to attack us. But we know, God, that you are stronger, that you are faithful. We don't know what to do right now, but our eyes are on you. This is our desperate plea. Will you save us? That is the map that Jehoshaphat gives us for desperate prayer. I wonder whether we pray those kind of prayers regularly. I know that I don't. And I know that I need to. Because as I already said, we're in desperate times. We need to be a people who are praying desperate prayers. Come on, let's just... Rem- this is, think about it for a moment. We look out in our city. We look out in our state. We look out in our nation. There are millions and millions and millions of people who do not know the life-changing, life-transforming message of Jesus. Right now, in the nation of Australia, most people are heading, a majority of people are heading to a Christless eternity. We look out into our city and we see that most people do not know the love and the grace of Jesus. They're batting it out alone. They're trying to figure out their life alone without walking in the presence, the power, the love and the grace of Jesus. I've got to be honest. When I hear stories of what people are going through, I don't know how they live without Jesus. I just don't. There is so much helplessness and hopelessness out there. And it's all well and good for us to be comfortable where we are, but the reality is we need to start praying some desperate prayers because we live in a nation that is desperately needing Jesus. Desperately needing Jesus. And we need to be crying out and looking with compassion like Jesus did. Say, God, you're a powerful God. God, you're a faithful God. God, you're a God who sent your son. you're, You're a God who loves every person. God, will you save our nation? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Will you save Australia? Will you save Brisbane? We need to start praying some desperate prayers again. We need to be hungering, hungering, desperately hungering for the presence of God. We need to be crying out for our generations. We need to be crying out for our young people, praying for our young people that they'll be able to walk with confidence in an age and a time where Christianity is becoming more and more outcast. Equipping, loving, praying for those who are coming behind us. We are in a desperate time and we need to start praying some desperate prayers. In times of desperation, what we are devoted to is revealed. Where our faith is, is revealed. And the problem is and the challenges for us in our Western world today is that distraction robs us. It robs us of our devotion. Distraction, and it's distraction, I think, sometimes from desperation that robs us of our devotion. I want to go back to the story of Jehoshaphat because his response in this prayer that we read today is actually formed and shaped by some events that happened a little earlier in his life. In 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 18, we read another story where Jehoshaphat goes to war. 
In 2 Chronicles 18, I'm just going to read the first three verses. We read this. Now, Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he allied, allied himself, sorry, he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. I want to hit pause there for a moment. It's very interesting that the, the historians who are recording this, recording the Chronicles, say he had great wealth and honor. Did he really need to put that in there? Did they really need to say that? No, I think they're making a point. They're saying Jehoshaphat had great honor and had great wealth. And I think they're saying that because that there was a confidence, a pride, a self-sufficiency that had crept into Jehoshaphat's heart. More than that, he had allied himself with Ahab. Now, if you know anything about Ahab, Ahab was the king of Israel and he was not a good guy. He married a woman called Jezebel. Jezebel was not a good woman and she had an influence on him and Ahab was not a good king. He was an evil king. Jehoshaphat allies himself with an evil king. Let's keep reading. Some years later, he went down to see Ahab in Samaria. Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle for him and the people with him and urged him to attack Ramoth Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied, as I am as you are and my people as your people, we will join you in the war. Hit pause there. Where's the seeking God part in all of that? Where's the we don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you part to that decision-making process? It's not. See, Jehoshaphat had honour. Jehoshaphat had wealth. He had power. He had agency. He could make those kind of decisions. If you continue to read the story, then retrospectively go, oh, hang on, uh, maybe we should go check out to see what a prophet says. And it all turns into a great debacle. But here's the thing I think that the writers are trying to say is Jehoshaphat had relied on his wealth and his honour. See, personal strength and power often means that we don't need God's strength and power. And we live in a world, we know this, we live in a Western world that is incredibly wealthy. We have access to wealth. You know, we are not suffering really in the grand scheme of things. We're the richest people in all of history with what we have access to, technology. We live in a materialistic, consumeristic age. And with all our wealth, and with everything that we have, it robs us of a desire to go to God in time of desperation because we have agency. We have wealth. We have things to turn to. And often this wealth acts as a distraction from our real needs, our real desperation. Wealth distracts us from our desperate state. Mark Sayers, uh, pastor down in Melbourne, says it like this. He says, life as it is presented to many young adults, I wanted just to say people, by the hyper-consumer world is a never-ending array of pleasures and experiences to joy. Hyper-consumer culture does not want us to think about the future, just as the fast food supplier does not want us to think of the future ramifications of the fat-laden snack we're about to buy. That's why I trust Megan. McDonald's. Rather, 
They want us to, us to think only in the moment, focusing on immediate gratification. So with all the things that we have, it's all designed and we're told this, that if as long as we just have the stuff, then we'll be okay. We can get that next hit of happiness. Everything's going to be okay. It masks over the desperate state of our heart, the reality of our life. This is the world that we're in. It was fascinating. Uh, last weekend, uh, we, went, we took the kids to the Cross River Rail Experience, which is just down the street. If you've got kids, or it's just really worth going to see. You can go after church today. It's just, um, just down there. And um, on, uh, on, on the corner of Albert and Elizabeth. And um, we took the kids there and we were watching a video. Uh, you'd be very proud of us, David, going, going to Cross River Isle experience. We were, we were, we were looking at um, just the way that they're designing the different stations and the, and the guy on the video was saying is that millennials these days, emerging generations these days, they're not interested in things. They're interested in experience. And so they're designing everything around our travel experience now and public transport around experience. Because we're all seeking. And again, I, I, don't, I don't want to just put emerging generations. I think this is for many of us. We're looking for the next hit. We're looking for the next high. We're looking for the next distraction that actually masks the reality of who we really are. And as long as we're distracted, as long as we keep ourselves going from one thing to the next, wealth kind of keeping things moving, we will never have the time or the space to consider our desperate state. And the, th the thing is that these little distractions are forming us and shaping us spiritually. They're having a significant impact on our relationship with others and our relationship with God. David Foster Wallace said this, the insidious thing about these forms of worship, as he calls it, these distractions, these idols in our society, in our culture, is not that they're evil or sinful, it is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you gradually slip into, day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. We live in this world of ongoing distraction and wealth that is robbing us of our acknowledgement of the desperate state that our world is in. And so we don't pray. We don't cry out. We don't see the need or the burdens because we're just happily going on from one distraction to the next. And this is for us too. And we need to find new practice, new ways, new abilities to be able to see what's going on in our mind and in our heart so that we can live a heart of devotion towards God. We read then as we continue with Jehoshaphat's story that he is rebuked by a prophet. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19, we see a prophet come and see him. Skip ahead if you've got your Bibles to the next chapter. When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, this is after the war, Jehu the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and said to the king, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is on you. There is, however, some good in you, for you have rid the land of Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. Jehoshaphat is rebuked. 
says you have not trusted God. You have not sought after God. You have trusted your own wealth, your own agency, and you are being rebuked by the Lord. And that was a seminal moment in Jehoshaphat's life. He's rebuked, and we now read his response. Because what he does is he then begins to shape the heart of the nation back to God. He creates a heart that is a heart for the nation that is devoted to him. See, we need to develop disciplines that strengthen our devotion in the midst of the idols that we're surrounded by. And this is what Jehoshaphat does. Let's keep reading 2 Chronicles 19. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He appointed judges in the land, in each of the fortified cities of Judah. He told them, consider carefully what you do, because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord, who is with you wherever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. In Jerusalem also, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites, priests and heads of Israelite families to administer the law of the Lord and to settle disputes. And they lived in Jerusalem. He gave them these orders. You must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. In every case that comes before you, you and your people who live in the cities, whether bloodshed or other concerns of the law, commands, decrees or regulations, you are to warn them not to sin against the Lord. Otherwise, his wrath will come on you and your people. Do this and you will not sin. Amariah, the chief priest, will be over you in any matter concerning the Lord. And Zebediah, son of Ishmael, the leader of the tribe of Judah, will be over you in any matter concerning the king. And the Levites will serve as officials before you. Act with courage and may the Lord be with those who do well. So Jehoshaphat, rebuked by the prophet, rebuked by the Lord, resolves in his heart that he is going to devote the nation of Judah back towards the Lord. He says, there is something wrong in my heart. There's something wrong in our heart. We're going to put some systems in place. We are going to behave in a new way in order that our hearts, our minds, and our eyes will be fixed on the Lord. And so he builds into, he restores back the heart of the people towards the Lord. He gets the, the lawyers, the judges, and he gets the priests and those who oversee the worship. And he, and he says, guys, you need to keep your eyes on God. You need to have a fear for the Lord. You need to act with justice. You need to point people away from sin in every aspect of society in our nation. We need to live according to the law. Now, you've got to understand that in those times, that was the way in which the people of God related to God. It was through the law. It was how they loved God. They loved God. They focused their lives toward God through the law. And and Jehoshaphat builds processes in place, systems in place so that the heart of the people would be focused in relationship to God. Now for us today, we do not relate to God through the law. Why? Because Jesus came down. We know that the people of Israel could not, the people of Judah could not sustain obedience to the law. So God intervenes, he comes down. We know the story. Jesus steps down from heaven to earth. And as he says, he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. 
Jesus lives the perfect life. God stepped down from heaven to earth, lives the perfect life, does not in any way break the law. And then, as we know, for our sin, he dies for us, those of us who have broken the law, in order that we may be restored to God, that we may have relationship with him. We are people of Jesus. We are in Christ, and when we're in Christ, we have access to the Father. We are his children. Jesus rose again three days later, defeating sin and death so that we can have the power and the life of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We can walk as children of God. That is what we are. That is what we've, called, we've been called into. We are forgiven, free people. The Lord no longer condemns us. We have been saved through Christ. But with any relationship, it takes work. There are systems in place. There are things that we need to do in order that our hearts may be towards God, like any relationship, right? If you don't spend time with somebody, you probably don't have a relationship with them. You know, I say regularly that for, for, for Megan and I, there are a whole bunch of things that we need to do as a married couple in order that we may be devoted to one another, if I didn't come home at night, if I just abrogated all responsibilities, if I didn't call Megan, if I had no communication with Megan, there would you'd say, Andrew, you're not really devoted to Megan, are you? You're not really connected to her. See, to, to, rem to remain in relationship with God, to be devoted to him, there are things that we do that help us walk in relationship, to have our hearts and our minds fixed on him. And we look at Jesus and we some, see some of those because he walked in devoted relationship with the Father. Whether that's prayer, confession, reading the Bible, solitude, Sabbath, whatever those things are that enable you to walk closely with God. See, just as Jehoshaphat built some processes that kept the people of Judah eyes towards him, so we too, as God's people, need to have things in our life that enable us to stay devoted to him. So then when we hit times of desperation, when we walk through seasons of challenge, we don't turn to the distractions and to the idols of our world, but we lift our eyes and we say the prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed. We don't know what to do, God, but I've been walking with you all these years, so my automatic response when things go wrong is I don't know what to do, God, but my eyes are on you. It's not I don't know what to do, so my eyes are on something else. I've been cultivating a relationship with you, God. I've been walking with you, God. I know who you are. I've got to know your character. I've got to know your love. I am confident in you. And even though I can't see how this is all going to end up, I trust you. I'm looking to you. When we do that, we walk with God. Our trigger response will always be towards God. And the wonderful thing is, is that when we do that, when we look to him, God gives us his power. 
God gives us his power. He gives power to those who desperately seek him. He gives his presence. He gives his power. He gives his power to those who desperately seek his presence. I want to land this story of Jehoshaphat. He gathers the people together. Remember, they've had these practices. The whole nation has been shaped back towards God through the law. And so when they're surrounded by the army, desperate moment, what are they going to do? They're facing annihilation. They turn towards God. They cry out to God. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then a prophet comes. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 14 to 7. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Beniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph. And he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours. It's not yours. It's God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will win. No, it doesn't say that. And the Lord will be with you. That great promise that is given more than any other promise in the Bible is, do not be afraid. I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you. Do not be afraid. I am with you. When we look to God, He gives us His presence. He gives us His power. You know, we might find ourselves in desperate situations. There may be something going on in our life. It might be in our workplace. It may be in our family. It may be to do with finances. It may be to do with health. It may be to do with something exterior to us. And God doesn't always say, I'm going to take it away. He doesn't always say, I'm going to fix it. He doesn't promise that. But what he does promise is that I will be with you. When we fix our eyes on him, when we walk through times of desperation, when we lift our eyes, we can know the assurance and the promise that we walk with the one who created the earth, the one who is more powerful than anything else that we can know. We can have that power and we can walk in confidence and comfort knowing that we have that power. And also this, and this is the hope, God may change our circumstance. God may break through. God may bring healing and He does. And when He steps through and when we know His presence here on earth, it's just a foretaste in what is to come. Because there is a great promise that Jesus has defeated sin and death. He did rise again three days after being killed in order that we can hope, have hope and assurance for eternity. 
We have a hope that is not here right now. We have an eternal hope that one day He will judge the living and the dead, that all will be made new, that He will be, all things will be made right and that we will be redeemed and restored. We can know it now, but it's a foretaste of what is to come. God says to us, I am with you. I am with you. Luke 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He opens the door to every one of us. He invites us in to His presence and He wants us to know His power. I reckon, well, this is what I'd love us to do today. I reckon there are circumstances that every one of us are facing in some way. There are, there are, there are, there are things that we can look at in our own life. There are things that we can look at into our community, into our world where there are desperate things going on. Maybe there's a cry in your heart right now. And what I'd love us to do as a church is to do a little bit like what the people of Judah did. This morning, I'd love for us, as we gather together, I'd love for us to pray some desperate prayers, to invite us to actually cry out to God so that we may know His presence and power in a new way, so that we will see our circumstances changed, that we'll see the power of God come and step into our city, into our nation and into our world. God is wanting us to pray some powerful, desperate prayers. So what I'd love for us to do, we're gonna worship, we're gonna sing. And after a bit, I'm just gonna invite you to, we're gonna stand in a moment and sing. And then just invite you to come forward and pray your desperate prayer. Maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's by yourself. Just come And this is how you, I'd form it like Jehoshaphat's prayer. Say, God, you are great. God, you are powerful. God, I've seen you at work in my life over years. Powerful, God's character. God, you have promised that you are with me. This is my plea. However you want to pray that, Pray that prayer. God, you are powerful. God, you are great. This is your character. God, I I need you to break through right now. And just pray it out in the front of church here today. I think for us as a church family, pray some desperate prayers today. Can we do that? So here's what I'd love us to do. Why don't we just stand right where we are? The band's just going to lead us in the first part of this song. And just as, as you do that, just, just perhaps just begin to think, what's that prayer? What's that cry? What's that plea? What's that thing that I just want to see in my family? What's that thing I want to see uh, in my life? What's that thing I want to see in my workplace? What's that thing I want to see in my friend? What's that thing I want to see in this world? What's my cry? What do I desperately want to see? Come on, let's sing. Let's worship, allow God to speak. And then we're going to, go, we're going to pray. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click Get Connected to let us know.